everybody. You are listening to the Tall and Short Short of It podcast with your hosts, Justin and Aaron. Aaron, say hello to the people. How's it going, everyone? I hope you're all having a, a lovely week going so far. How's, uh, how's your week going, speaking of? Uh, it's been good. I had actually my... My last day at the property that I've been uh, filling a position at today. So nice. uh, today being um, Wednesday, the thirtieth of September. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was bittersweet. I've enjoyed being there a lot. Uh, really uh, got to connect with some people in my company that I hadn't um, hadn't really gotten to know super well before. Um, and so it's I'm gonna miss. Uh, miss them and having those like daily conversations and just like uh shooting the shit around the water cooler as the as they say was um, it was there actually a water cooler though there is a water cooler <laughs> oh, damn. uh but that's not usually where i where i get to talk and chat with people but yeah you're um, hanging out under the bleachers aren't you uh totally there you go there you go but uh, but yeah, it was. It's been a pretty good week. Um, little anxious, I guess, going back to my normal position slash filling in at other properties because it's been. Uh, I haven't done that since like March <laughs> at this point. So it's been quite some time since I've been in my office. Uh, now, when you when you leave this job, is there like? Is there any downtime? Do you have to like re uh, kind of like reintegrate? Is there going to be like a like a training period for the for the new locations or are there places that you've already been? Uh, places I've already been. I've worked out at most of the properties um, in our company, so I've gotten some experience at a lot of them. So now, how many how many do your does your company have? Uh I think it's about 20 total. Whoa. Okay. Now 15 to 20 in that range. Um, okay. So I've worked at quite a few of them and uh, met a lot of people. So the property I'm going to be filling in at next is while well, someone's on vacation. So I'm going to be, and I've been there before, so I should adjust pretty well. Tomorrow's just my uh, briefing day for the next 10 days or so of being there. Gotcha. Now I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I fully understand. Like, so, so you for the for the properties, you are the property manager, or and 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 what exactly like does that entail? So, like, what, what do you do? So my my title is called management support. So basically, um, with our company being property management company, uh, doing like apartments and housing, um, my job is to kind of fill in for property managers when they're out on vacation, when they're sick, things like that. Or in the case of the most recent property, I was uh, filling a maintenance desk position, essentially, where I was gotcha. kind of coordinate um, the maintenance team on site for about 700 apartments um, and like the daily goings on um, to get repairs done and do things from... Uh, fixing people's sink faucets to uh cleaning gutters and and getting our our team kind of on track to keep the property in good shape um, gotcha okay that makes sense yeah with property management uh like filling in at as the property manager a lot of our properties are um don't necessarily have like a ton of office staff 
Um, so for those I'm filling in, I am responding to people who are inquiring about apartments. I'm contacting residents about issues they're having, helping out with maintenance, um, similar to what I was doing, kind of getting them uh, the different work orders they get put in throughout the days, um, and then hopefully renting some apartments if we have vacancies. So it's a, a little bit of a shift, but still kind of covering some of the same tasks that I've been doing at the this most recent position I was filling in for. Gotcha. Okay. Now that, yeah, that gives me, that gives me a much clearer picture, I think, of, um, you know, what exactly you do. Because I wasn't, I don't think I was ever really totally sure. Uh, sometimes I'm not totally sure with how many different things I, uh, I get to do. There's, it's very, um, it makes my position very ambiguous, where one day I could be in my main office working on a project for our managing director and the next day i could be covering for someone who had to call out because their kid got sick um they have to take them to the doctor so it's <laughs> it's a it's a cool mix it keeps me uh keeps me guessing every day which is nice nice variety so. and now when you wake up tomorrow are you on on one of the older prop like uh, one of the old properties that you were on or or this um or do you have any like close out for the property that you're at currently so i did my close out for the property i'm at currently today so I oh nice handed, okay handed that over to someone who the person who's going to be training the the new person they hired for that position okay gotcha and I will be going to a property I've been at before, um, filling in for the the manager while he's taking a, a vacation down to the Caribbean. So, damn man, that sounds nice. It does, especially um, especially right now when I think a lot of people have missed out on their summer vacation plans. So, yeah, and that well. I don't know. I don't know how quickly we just want to like jump into everything, but that kind of brings us neatly to one of the topics that we were that we wanted to hit on tonight, which I think is kind of in line with you know our general themes. But we wanted to touch on we want to talk about Among Us, Fall Guys, and games in that vein. Um, and I guess. The reason we bring it up in this sense is the the disconnect that I'm sure a lot of people are feeling, um, you know, in these in in these crazy times that we live, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's an element where, yeah, a lot of people are missing their vacations and it's 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 due to you know us having to be to be locked down and the element that you brought up was why are these games catching fire now right yeah um especially like i i mentioned to you the stat that i saw um that uh among us which to anyone who doesn't know is a party game you can have 10 people um and someone is an imposter among your group so your group is trying to sniff out who the imposter is before they can kill everyone um and it's a very like simple kind of 2d looking game a uh, lot of fun to play with friends 
but uh, it went from zero daily users um, when it first came out, I think a, a year or two ago, uh, to having just recently 6 million daily users, which is, I mean, obviously an extreme leap. Um, but it's kind of crazy how many people like during quarantine and the pandemic have have kind of jumped on party games like that or fall guys where you're in a group of a ton of people trying to be the last man standing uh right. in cheesy little kind of games <clears throat> and the thing all right so this is this is kind of so i'm curious why a game like that first has no daily users and then you know can just kind of just kind of rock it out of the gate now this is in this is in a time where and i guess <laughs> i guess if you don't know what it is google it i'm not going to be the one to explain it to you um this is in a world where everybody has an OnlyFans account. Everybody's trying to be a streamer, have a YouTube channel. Fuck, everybody and their mom has a podcast now. So, yeah, I mean, there who, is who just randomly starts a podcast? Yeah, know? with with <laughs> no um with with no prior following or listeners. That just that sounds like a crazy idea. Yeah, it sounds like fun though. Thank God, uh, <laughs> thank God we have a million fans, dude. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Well, all right. So, so yeah. So, so you're, so you definitely get it. The thing is, like, everybody is flocking to have an online persona, personality, just a gimmick, shtick, whatever you want to call it. And it, it feels like these kinds of games are the perfect, like, blend of, well, I'm not really a gamer, but, these people are making mad money streaming. So is, is, is there a way that I can make that work for me? Enter, like you were talking about, these party games, Fall Guys, Among Us. Fuck, even I would say like, even like Fortnite and other games are similar. Like even Fortnite, when it first came out, it had this, um, it's like a full-blown eSport now, but when it ca first came out, it was like, oh, like your mom can play Fortnite and yada, yada, yada. And, yeah, super and, and, like uh, kiddish animations. Like there's no gore. There's no like craziness, even though it's a like a game where you're trying to kill people. Like, right, so, right. So there's yeah. this, there's a push for being, and who knows if this was like in the, in the minds of the developers but like there's kind of a push for uh fuck i i kind of hate the word but like inclusivity in a way we're like oh let's try and bring everybody into this game like dude everybody can pick up a controller and play mario party everybody can pick up a controller and play like wii sports it feels like a feels like a retreat back to those times like you were talking about yeah. caribbean vacation these games feel like a caribbean vacation from being locked away from everybody and ah shit here we are just all in the discord laughing yucking it up it, it feels it feels very akin to when you would have like you and three of your buddies on a couch you know, playing like split screen Goldeneye or whatever, you know, or or like you said, Mario Kart. Like I, um, I think a lot of my friends uh, at the beginning of the pandemic they invested in getting Nintendo Switches. Ah, there's gonna be a little bit of a blip there. Um, we'll hopefully uh, fix that in post. Uh, Aaron, continue. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, a lot of my friends got like Animal Crossing and they're like, yo, let me come see your island. Uh, <laughs> like, let me check out what you've you've built there or people playing uh, online Mario Kart or different games like that. Um, I think like whether you're someone who plays uh, a lot of video games or is playing um, just these kind of party games and stuff like that, um, you've got a good uh, just amount of people that are looking for ways to kind of stay connected during during everything going on yeah yeah that's uh yeah that's like the the key word there man staying connected and from what i've seen of among us unfortunately i haven't had had the pleasure of playing 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 the game myself but it seems like just a hoot in the sense you know if you have all you know it's you and nine of your friends it sounds like it can be exactly the break uh, that people need from this and really be able to connect with their friends and, and heck even family, you know, depending on your, uh, what would you say application level of, you know, like computer games and mice keyboard, all that kind of stuff, you know, you, you can get your, you can get your family in on it. I imagine that'd be a fun time. Yeah. Well, and this is not an ad for among us, but you can actually <laughs> get it on your phone for free. Um, so oh, like, shit. So you can play from mobile and it has crossplay to PC. So Whoa. it's free to play on your phone. The only benefit you have of playing on a computer is I bought it for $5. So I get a bunch of extra little uh, doodads. I can dress my, my character up in to, to flex on people that I dropped five whole dollars on the game. So, <laughs> but then even that, like, yeah, you get to flex, but then also you're helping out, you know, you're helping out the creators of the game. Like, we don't know how many people are involved in the team. Like, one of the games oh, yeah. um, that that uh, me, Kyle, Ian are playing currently, uh, it's called Risk of Rain 2. Yeah, and, I you guys have been on that a little bit. Dude, it's fucking, it's so much fun. And, but when you learn about it, it it's only, like, it was developed by, like, four dudes or something like that. And it may like that makes me so much more like I would I would pay I would pay double for that game if I knew there was like a like going to support a small team and, you know, they had not really a lot going for them, but they made this amazing game. Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely value in supporting the creators that you enjoy. Like I have um, I have like two Patreon subscriptions. And to me, that's. um like if if it feels good to do that because I know I would be very thankful, um, you know, if if somebody was contributing to my art, my creativity in that way. Um, so yeah, man, I think that's great. Well, and I mean, uh, kind of brings you like to supporting people. Yeah, it brings you kind of around to what you're saying with people having. Uh, whether it's uh their OnlyFans or <laughs> or just like Patreon or just whatever like people are trying to be out there and kind of hustle and make money and and do different things and so if there are content creators like uh the patreons and i have a couple of subscriptions on twitch to some streamers that i right watching, yeah like, there you go those are uh good ways of I, I i spend enough time like watching people and everything like that that i feel it's something i can do to to give back to to them for giving me plenty of entertainment so 
definitely a, a cool thing to be able to give back, whether it's a small game, being able to buy it or uh, watching content creators and supporting them that way. So, and then, and then you get this like, and, and again, this goes back to, you know, the connected term, you get this like little sense of community, like, you know, a lot of times there'll be a discord server that you can hop on and, you know, chat with other people who are enjoying the exact same thing as you are. And then, oh shit, uh, we just found eight other people to hop on and play an Among Us game. And now there you are with eight strangers yucking it up, laughing and feeling like you were just like at a LAN party with your butt with your buddies because all this like I would call it I would call it social technology is like available and it's just everybody's doing it and even more so now it's just like it it feels it it feels interesting the um it feels interesting the way people reach for other people when like they've actually been taken away it's not like our choice you know what i mean yeah i think that's kind of like the thing about um uh getting kind of off topic but just like society in general like we i feel like humans are kind of um we're creatures that need a community so i think that's like what a lot of people seek out whether it's through things like playing silly games with their friends when there's a pandemic or like people who want to join different organizations, clubs, whatever, to like have a collective of people around them that are um, interested in similar things. And so I think that's something that we long for and that's an easy, just as humans in general. And so this is like a very easy way for people to, to kind of find that in a time where it's not, uh, easy to necessarily do that connection uh in person so yeah and just get a laugh man like that's that's the thing that i understand about these games like they're so wacky and you know the 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 possibilities are you know for the possibilities of like variant gameplay are out there and you know duping your friends and this and that and fuck man do we need a laugh now if anything oh yeah like being able to uh try and keep a straight face and lie lie through your teeth to your friends playing among us that you're not the uh the killer is it's fun man it's so entertaining and like every time you trick someone you're like giggling to yourself you're like oh i got him let's get the next one it's just it's all all good fun so i'm curious i'm curious do do games like that become less fun if they're more realistic? Like they, they honestly, they, they lean so heavily into the like cartoon aspect of it. Do you think it doesn't do as well if it's like, uh, like real looking people? Um, I don't know. I think, I think there's a smaller player base for sure, because I think, um, like one draw to games like this is that you don't have to, feel like you're like a, a gamer to play them like you can just like go and join it like we the group that i played with a bunch of my friends who have played video games are like girlfriends joined in and haven't like aren't really into video games that much but they had a blast playing this like um so yeah i think if it's more realistic people might like take it a little more seriously and that might take away kind of from the jovial like nature of the game sure sure yeah okay 
So, so yeah. So you're even like, so you're even like bridging gaps then between yeah. like, like you said, fucking sick gamers and non gamers. Yeah, it's cool. It's, um, it's like just something that anyone can play. I mean, I look at that. Uh, it's a comparison I can make to like actual sports and like in a sense with golf, like with golf, I feel like you can go out and have people of any different level in your group together and just go out and smack some golf balls around and still have fun. Like I went golfing with friends in the Poconos last year and um, like my one buddy shot like in the eighties. I shot in the nineties. My next friend shot in like the hundreds and the next friend shot in the one ten. So we're all like, definitely different levels of of skill in golf but at the same time we still had a blast playing together so right you can kind interesting of, yeah stretch those uh levels of of whether people are have played a lot of video games or none at all still have a, a good time especially they can definitely pick not, up and play yeah i think if it was more realistic or had different controls or was like i think that would definitely take away from that a bit well, um, with golf, it can be kind of, uh, what would you say? Like, you're kind of just like playing against yourself. You know what I mean? It's not like the yeah. other people are like hitting your balls like out of the way and anything right. like you're, that. So, yeah. Not actively like competing against each other necessarily. Like, right. You kind of are, but you're also just like trying to, everyone's got the same goal. You're not stopping each other from doing it. Exactly. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's that's kind of all I was getting at. But yeah, yeah, man, no, that's sweet. So now how much here's the here's the million dollar question. Have you gotten a win on Fall Guys yet? I haven't played Fall Guys yet, man. I would God love I damn. Need to, I need to play so I can get one in uh less time than Tim the Tat Man. Bro <laughs> That was dude. so funny. That's gonna be that's gonna be the new like headstone, just hot shit. Where like on your gravestone, two wins in Fall Guys, zero wins in Fall Guys, ten wins in Fall Guys. It's gonna be it's gonna be the penultimate, uh, like status signifier. I believe. Oh, I I totally agree. I've actually um, purchased my uh, gravestone already, and I'm just like waiting for it to be etched. Nice. So I've got I've nice. got the blank marble, um, just <laughs> sitting. No. I, you know you're you're joking about it, but seriously, in pay for that when you have the money. Don't make your children pay for it. And we're back for the second time. Yeah, so uh, you were saying buy your gravestones while you can, people. They're, yeah, going, they're going hot. They are so flying, off, flying off the shelves, my guy. Dude, that's actually where we should start the podcast is have it just like just butt that at the front of it. So it just opens with buy your headstones now, folks. <laughs> It's one giant ad for like a mortuary or some shit. Fake, fake commercial for headstones. At the oh my god! The pod. We <laughs> don't, we don't need paid sponsors. We'll write our own. Absolutely. Holy um, shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, I guess we can kind of 
start to shift. I know that's a, a weird break with coming back after um, after the recording stopped, but uh, I know we also wanted to kind of uh, switch switch terms of video games to uh, League of Legends a little bit too. Um, we've got the world's play-ins that just completed. Um, and so switching from Among Us and party games to back to our, our competitive games that we love so dearly. Um, yeah, League of Legends, we've got, uh, I guess, some interesting stuff there with Team Liquid, the North American third seed, having to go through the play-ins. They ended up coming out on top uh, after a tiebreaker match. And then uh, Mad Lions, the European fourth seed. This is the the first time that a European seed has gotten knocked out of the play-in side of things. So that's kind of uh, interesting, I guess, for this year's Worlds. Well, my question is, let me pull up the Mad Lions standing. So they played Supermassive. Yep, they played uh, Legacy Esports, Supermassive, INTZ, um, and Team Liquid. Okay, interesting. Now, in the best of five, they are picking just some insane champions. The, like, the Malphite Jungle... What's the the Leona? Interesting. Interesting. What? There are so many tanks. Yeah. Now, I'm not too familiar with, like, itemization as far as, like, you know, efficiency and this and that. But talk to me a little bit about, like, this this apparent tank meta that's going on, like, what do you think is contributing to that? Um, I honestly, I think that it is the, um, the general mindset for worlds. It's like teams looking to play a little more, um, conservatively, I guess. Uh, you have so many different, um, like you've got, so many different teams from different like metas playing different styles of League of Legends. And if you play something super aggressive, super um, like just putting yourself at risk, like high risk, high reward, then I think the the chance of failure is much higher. So I think in this with like we've talked about um, control mages always coming in strong for worlds, the Orianas, Syndra's, things like that, Lissandra even. Um, I think it's uh, teams that are concerned about th that, basically, where they're going to potentially um, like risk too much and lose quickly, so might as well play it safe, I guess. Right, right, right. Okay, so the thing that I was having trouble with when I when I first when I first pulled it up, I got I got ahead of myself. I I I said the I. I said the best of five first, which again, we're flipping the order of things. That's that was for the play-in knockout stage. That was after the play-in group stage. 
Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I came into that just backwards then. All right. So now after, so now the teams that won the knockouts, why did, why did LGD play twice? So LGD, um, well, hold on. Let me look here real quick at the knockouts. So uh, what do you mean? Why did they play twice? Because they were uh, they were one of the low seeded teams in their bracket. So okay, gotcha. Yeah. So they did like a like a losers thing. Yeah. So they were they were okay. Like fourth versus third seed. Um, they didn't have a buy or anything, so they had to just play from the the get go and try and push through all the way. Gotcha. I mean, okay. They re-owed both of their series, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, you have Peanut, Kramer, GA. Like, these aren't, you know, I'm these not, aren't rookie players. Yeah, but at the same time, they went one and three in their group uh, round robin. True. Is, I mean, best of ones. You can yeah. always. Um, yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't think they mean much. I really don't. And it's a I, shame that they still do them at Worlds because I don't think best of ones mean shit. No, I don't think they're a good gauge of talent. Um, no, but, they're not at all. But at the same time, um, I mean, LGD did lose to um, Rainbow Seven which they beat 3-0. So Rainbow 7 managed to get a game off of them, but then couldn't get a game off of them in uh, that first series they played. They got 3-0. Right. So, right. So, I so, mean, then, so then you can't even look at, you can't even look at the, like the one-off that even Rainbow 7 has against them as like, oh, well, yeah, they took one game. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not indicative of how a team's going to do overall in right. the, like, this is a grueling tournament. Oh yeah. Every like every single time. This is a grueling tournament and these players they're like out of their home countries, they're in and t- to be fair from a and this is just like a total sidebar, I'm sorry. From a spectator's perspective, it's it's kind of rough. Like there's no there's it's- no screaming fans, like there's no energy at all. It's just it, it honestly feels like they could just be playing scrims like in their pajamas. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's something that um, is, I mean, that's a huge difference this year from previous years, uh, worlds, but I yeah. also think that I know I mentioned that um, Europe's fourth seed mad lions got knocked out in this play in stage. And they're the first team to get uh first European team, not to make it through the play-ins, but at the same time, they're a team consisting of like four rookies, right? So, four rookies who got very, very, very little on stage time, right? Uh, and they were playing in the comfort of their own gaming rooms, their own what, what have you, wherever they were doing it during the regular season. And they're coming into this where they, I mean, even though there's no fans there, you're still on a stage, there's still a different, um, it's it's that different atmosphere. I think yeah. that takes people out of their comfort zones, especially a, a young team like them who a lot of their players don't have that experience playing in that that environment. So Which is which is really unfortunate in the sense of like I remember I remember vividly like 
the world stage having like actually broken players like to the point of tears and that's in front of you know not just the people in the arena but like including the concurrent viewers you know online from all over the world like you're you're in front of like a million two million three million people if you're in the finals that got streamed to seven million people last year it's like that is that is a different kind of loss right yeah that's a it's devastating i think like you're yeah you can actually feel like um especially depending on where the world championships is especially if it's in like your home region um like man you feeling the weight of the fans and feeling like you let all those people down especially if you have live uh or people in person watching it that has to be brutal man and Um, and and this is coming from a perspective of like we've not not playing at worlds but like being being live watching the world's matches going on it's a totally different beast it's a totally different beast yeah i mean it's so much fun the energy is electric in those stadiums it's insane yeah and i mean what uh which matches did you see when it was in north america last i was at i was at the semifinals in new york city Gotcha. And I was at the other ones in New York um, with uh, I got the um, Rocks Tigers um, SKT. Yes. Yes. The Rocks Tigers SKT series that was like one to five games. And it was just unreal. Um, For anyone who doesn't follow League of Legends, there's a kind of a meme song that uh, plays. And so Anytime a, a series, a best of five series goes to game five, they play the silver, song, silver scrapes. scrapes and like hearing that go in the stadium, like as 20 to 30,000 people are surrounding this stage where 10 people are playing their asses off against each other, like putting it all out uh, and just trying their hardest to win was, it was just a different, um, different feeling than you get in most uh situations where you're watching video games at least for sure yeah that was that was the 2016 world's tournament yeah yeah it fucking you know rocks tigers listen just listen to this fucking lineup bro smeb in the top lane peanut in the jungle kuro mid lane and then you had prey and gorilla do you remember how nasty they were Dude, it was it was disgusting and watching. Are they, like, are they right? still on teams, by the way? Uh, well, Peanut is. Um, Peanuts at World so, right now again. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. So you said I. So Kuro, he is still playing. He is on KT Rolster. Okay. Uh, in uh, South Korea, we've got. Um. You said Prey. see what Prey's doing. Um, Prey, I don't believe, is currently playing, actually. Damn, that's a shame. Those two together were, they were, oh, man, just yeah. nasty. Bro, that was back when there were only three bands? Yeah. What? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, just thinking about Prey's uh, 
cross map arrow. Yeah. Did. And like that was it was wild. That team was electric to watch. And <sighs> that was a lot of fun, man. Dude, yeah, Worlds is so crazy. I'm I'm looking at the I'm looking at the standings like going into the groups uh group C. I'm looking yeah. at TSM. Yo, there is no way they get out of that group with fucking LGD and Gen G, fucking Ruler, Clid, BDD. So, Yo, BDD I mean, is insane. I mean, I think unfortunately gen g has not been as good recently and they still do have super talented players with high ceilings they haven't played yet though have they uh not yet but i mean just in terms of like their their roster and how they did in um lck the past two splits they sure they weren't as impressive as i expected them to be um with the roster but they i mean tsm's in a tough group um and I think Group B is also going to be really tough because I think JD Gaming, uh, JDG, and Damwon Gaming are going to be tough to beat. Um, I don't really see PSG the from the coming from the play-ins and doing much. And Rogue is a wild card a little bit. I'd like to see how they do, but. It'll be interesting. I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of expectations, but I am happy to be pleasantly surprised since I typically root for Western teams. Uh, right. So, Vander. Then, so he's playing on Team Rogue. This isn't his first time at Worlds either, is it? No, there's no way it's Vander's first time at Worlds. Um, I'm, I'm I'm sure he's definitely been there before. Interesting. Yeah, Holy so, shit. This so, is yeah, this is gonna Vander, be such a good group yeah, page. So Vander was a, on H2K when they went to Worlds in 2016. Um, so that was his last time at Worlds, actually. And that was with that was when uh Oduamne was their top laner, right? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah. So I mean that makes sense. He definitely um he definitely has like been there before and has that veteran um kind of mindset but it's going to be i mean it's a whole whole different thing now right yeah let's see who they had in 2016 their world's roster in 2016 oh yeah so they had oduamne yankos who is g2's jungler being one of the best teams in the world ryu as their mid laner uh who played in south korea for a while uh, as well as North America, they had Forgiven. Uh, one of oh my God, that's right, the yeah. fucking madman, and then Vander. So uh, that was the last time that I think Forgiven was a um, like really playing at his prime. Uh, I think Vander kind of helps him out a lot with his yeah. personality. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, that's right. Dude, yeah. I'm looking at dude, like you said, I'm looking at G2. It, it just seems it seems crazy that perks and caps get to be on the same team. It's just not fair. And like perks, it it was it's just so wild that he was like, "Yo man, like how about you come to my team and I'll I'll switch positions. You can you can still be the best 
mid lane in LEC. Just just come play for me. And then he still he switches positions and then still carries hard for his team as an AD carry. Like that's I it's not unheard of, but it's not common for players to switch positions and be like right. I mean right. you do have you have guys like Core JJ who was uh, what did he was he Core JJ was an eighty carry, I believe. I think he was I think he was an eighty carry. I think you're right. That was um he played for Dignitas, I believe, yep. after I'm a cutie pie stopped playing and he had Kiwi Kid as his support. Yeah. I'm remembering this correctly. <laughs> and yes. Then, yeah. Yo, so, and then he went and then he went and won worlds the next year with Sam fucking insane. <laughs> he was never he was never getting there with Dignitas. That's so crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't get why those people fucking moved to the oh man. Cash uh, man, cash, cash. Money. Dude, cash. can you imagine Voiboy? Oh, that's not the roster. What am I talking about? Who is he? God damn. Yeah, the, the original roster was Voiboy, Jat, Scara, I'm a Cutie Pie, and Locust. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. All and, the way down. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, he was the AD carry with Kiwi Kid. Um, so it was, oh, geez, what was their team then? I've got to look at this because that was 2016. I'm not sure, but I know that Core JJ was his support because there were so many memes about um, Core JJ uh, teaching, teaching or no, um, Kiwi Kid teaching Core JJ how to be the best support in the world when he uh, went to, right. to win worlds the next year. So, but Dude, to split, crazy switch positions and then go and win worlds the next year is wild. Um, it's just unbelievable and seeing the talent that's like out here playing in this year's worlds is going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the the group stage um i think we have good potential for one north american team to make it out it's definitely not going to be tsm yeah, it's probably not going to be TSM. It's probably not going to be FlyQuest. I'll let the people out there uh, do the rest of the math. But, <laughs> uh, but that's kind of where I see see that going. Dude, it's so crazy looking at this old roster list of Dignitas and like hovering over so many of these players. It says blank retired, blank retired, blank free agent, blank retired, blank retired. It's just like, oh man, short careers. Yeah. But then you think like some people have insanely long careers in this. Dude, do you remember Dignitas employed the streamer Azingi? He was on their Ooh. team. He he played live games on the LCS. Not didn't he play? He was the jungler. He was yeah. He was the like Carthage jungle one trick in solo queue. Wild. Holy Um, shit! We're just a League of Legends podcast now. I know. Well, (laughs) yo, 
the the pen ultimate tier list of every North American player ever. We just go through all the rosters of all the teams and give every single player a rating. Brutal. I would give some nasty ratings to some of these people, and I don't want to hurt feelings. So. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Dude. Jat is a coach for Team Liquid. And he, he used was, to play. He played in 2011 in season one. Oh uh, my two, god! I, um, I think my my favorites to look back at are like Eveniscus. Sneaky played for uh, for Dignitas. Well, briefly, not really, but um, he was on Quanta. He's on their former players list. Yeah, uh, for Dignitas, which is wild. Um, but yeah, like Eveniscus, I remember not being very good at all. Um, wa- I've watched some old uh, North American games in the past few months, like old, old, like season three. Nice. Cloud Nine was just coming onto the scene, and I was. Dude, that run was insane. Oh, do do you remember Vile Rose? vile rose he was he was, i like that's a name okay so <laughs> vile rose league of legends it, it pops up leapedia yes, velocity yeah mid With, and top laner yeah. chris nk inc vile rose maple street and oh LCS. man 2013 summer and uh NALCS. Oh my god. The interview with Vile Rose and Echo week yeah. six, day one from the NALCS. Holy <laughs> shit. But this... I, I just remember him because of his crazy hair and yep. like also the fact that they were pretty garbage, man. <laughs> like compared to the other players that they had to go up against. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, like, and dude, Maple Street was what's his name's brother. The odd one's the brother. Odd one. Yep, younger brother. My God, he has never used shampoo in his life. <laughs> Might not. So, um, oh, that's Echo. That's their mid laner. Never mind. He uh, did pretty well, apparently. Holy shit, that's so crazy. The those are the kids that ESPN was afraid of. They were like, "No, we can't put them on our TV." Or I'm a cutie pie man. Uh, or, anyone, or I'm a cutie pie. Holy shit. Not in the League of Legends scene listening. Just look up I M A Q T P I E. Like, look up the dude. He is a sight to see, and he was one of the faces of <laughs> League of Legends for a few years. The bit one of the biggest esports in the world. So dude, and depending on who you ask, he's still the face of the game. He is still honestly like he's a very entertaining personality for, for League of Legends streaming. Uh he's he's still very good. I could see him playing on a North American team again. It, he's definitely good enough. Um I just don't think he cares enough to. Like, well, no, I mean, and, and, I don't and he's been him. through he's the making, ringer, you know, making plenty of money streaming. Like, he's yeah, probably more than Ride ever offered him. Oh, and he's just chilling. So there's, uh, he's not going to, but at the same, same time, I think he still is like a good enough player. So 
I agree, especially with uh, his um, his stream titles are very convincing. Best AD carry player in the world. Hey, man. It's so me. funny. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me he's not? No, I'm, I'm telling you he is. Exactly. Oh, okay. Good, good. It's like... You debating his titles? Stream so, titles don't lie, dude. They never lie. They never lie. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm very pumped to see more of Worlds and see kind of how how things shake out. There's a number of teams I don't really know about, so it's gonna be gonna be pretty interesting. Now, how much? All right, so how much do we really want to bore the people? Because the one thing, and we just did a total retrospective on Worlds, but the one thing I wanted to talk about, like, specifically, because this was, this is the main element in League of Legends that fascinates me, is, like, the metagame and, like, pick-a-band type stuff. So, I was curious, how much do you want to talk about the lane swap? Do you just want to, like, leave it for another time, see how the meta develops, or... Well, I mean, we can definitely just like we can touch on it. And so, basically, for anyone who doesn't know what a lane swap is, um, there's typically like one player in the top lane of the three three different lanes you can go down in the game, one person in the mid lane, and two players in the bottom lane, and then you have one person kind of roaming the map, which is your jungler. Um, so, a lane swap we've got teams that are putting instead of having one person in the top lane and two people in the bottom lane they're throwing two people in the top lane and one person in the bottom lane so that the bottom lane is now a 2v1 uh matchup for uh for both teams uh you've got a 2v1 in two different areas of the map which can lead to some really interesting um i guess strategies if you want to get a little more into it yeah so and and this is where like the pick a band comes comes into it so you okay and and also this is where player experience comes into it this is also where best of fives come into it so and this is why worlds is so interesting to me once it gets past the you know knockouts and the group stages because you get the best of five series. Now, what does that mean for a lane swap? That means that in a either developing lane swap meta or a set lane swap meta, meaning, okay, teams are either bringing lane swaps to a table that didn't previously have them, and then the table has to adapt, or everybody at the table is bringing lane swaps and they intrinsically know what that means now you don't want to be the team that gets lane swapped on you don't want to be the team that has no clue because the advantages that the team that lane swaps on you the advantage that they get way outweighs the amount of advantage that you're going to be able to scrounge together as the team that got lane swapped on. And that's where the pick and ban comes into it. There are ways to know that you're getting lane swapped on before you're even on the board. And that's optimally when you want to catch it or just know that just 100% you're getting lane swapped on. And what I find very interesting is in a, because it wasn't this before, in a world's developing 
lane swap meta there are teams that got fucking sideswiped by it and oh, yeah. it it defined it defined the early stages of worlds for me honestly was watching the chinese teams lane swap on the lesser quote unquote lesser developed regions which i'm not sure i really buy that term anymore but yeah. The, it's it was the you know the Chinese and the Eastern teams lane swapping on these less experienced teams and taking every advantage and it was brutal to watch. Like I said, you don't want to be the team that gets lane swapped on. Yeah, and I I think the one of the interesting things that I mean I don't know if we'll ever get the answer is like how do these lane swaps get like come about? Did a team play a bunch of? scrimmages against other teams and they're like you know what i'll just try this out one game and it worked out super well and they're like oh i'm gonna try this a lot or are they just like you know what i'm gonna like throw these guys for a loop we can play this way let's do it right and just go from there like i'd be i'm very interested to see how it kind of carries into the group stage where um you would expect the teams to be a bit more competitive, I guess. Right. Well, and also then do, is the lane swap even that good on the patch that we're playing worlds at? Cause to answer right. your question, that, that is a factor of how and when lane swap meta started is how easy it was to get gold and or resources from them. Yeah. I right? mean, to a point that, I mean, it was rampant well and brutally boring for a right. while like right. to the point where no action teams are lane swapping and just pushing down the two person lane for each team is just killing towers the other team's towers and pushing towards their base with really no resistance at all and then everyone gets some gold in their pockets gets some money to buy items and they're like okay we'll back off now and we're good to go and and that's when the game started. But you could spend ten to fifteen minutes of these teams just like like playing PVE player versus environment basically. They're not right. each other. They're just trying to kill the other the other turrets faster. So And that was and that was like on a patch where it was it was just worth more money to go for the turrets than trying to bring, you know, early aggressive strategies and like try and get kills for your gold like it the the way the game was balanced at the time just didn't make sense but yeah. what i find very interesting is we're in a meta right now where they made active changes in the environment of the game to push it away from a lane swap meta they wanted to go back to the 2v2s they wanted to go back to the 1v1s up top and it's and now it's still so it's it, it that tells me that the strategy is good outside the realm of what patch it's on it's a way to take advantage of teams who are just in motor mode man they're just going through the motions we're going to get this pick we're going to get that pick and not even think about the fact that they're like their duo laners m- are about to be outlaned by some 
like by some top lane pick that's able to sustain itself and they just get their you know their lanes pushed in top lane what do you do with the jungler how do you get vision like these are all questions that are going to come up in the game that these players are not going to be prepared for which yeah. is which is why it was so impressive to me to see these teams use that in the group stage it was just free victories man it was it was it was surgical it was super impressive to watch well i mean as I think it, uh, Jeff Goldblum says in Jurassic Park, um, lane swaps find a way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those were his exact words, actually. I think so. I think uh, I think that's a direct quote. Um, Dude, it's not about the Raptors, man. We were wrong. It's all about the lane swaps. But uh, <laughs> holy shit. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely cool that people are like actually actively trying to to come up with new strategies. They're not I think in a lot of previous worlds, um, I mean Korea and China were seen as the the best regions in the game and everyone came to worlds and are like, I'm gonna try and play the same style as these top teams because they're playing it, so it must be the best way. Right. And then like you're looking at it and you're like, Well, yeah, like you may learn to play the same way as them but if they're better players and they're more experienced playing that style they're just going to kick your ass like no ifs ands or buts they know how to play that style better so you're just going to lose yeah it's like uh like teams trying to play catch up when they should have just been trying to beat them in a different way yeah with their style the way that they're comfortable with like playing playing their game and their uh uh yeah they're just following their game plan instead of trying to follow someone else's and beat them at their own game like you're not you're very rarely going to beat someone at their own game uh when they have more experience than you so yeah and and especially when that thing or that entity is already like in top form you're just oh yeah, yeah man you're just getting outpaced yeah, so I think that's uh, definitely cool that teams seem to actually be like really going for different strategies, different um, styles of play that they know how to play instead of just trying to wing it and figure out someone else's gameplay style. Right, so, trying to figure out what the global meta is. They're just kind of bringing their own panache to it. Yeah, I think we've gotten to that point in uh, the League of Legends scene where there's enough regions that are competitive and enough teams that are competitive that you uh, you can play that way. So it's going to be I'm ve- I'm very excited for the group stages of Worlds. So same Z's, and hopefully um, hopefully we don't become a total League of Legends podcast. But goddamn, was that fun to go back and just like man. So many, so many good memories surrounded surrounded with this time of year, man. Oh Dude, yeah. You remember yeah. the time? You remember the time we all met up at Penn State? I believe yeah. it was like it was my, me, you, uh, Ian. Yeah, you guys. Oh came up my gosh! Stayed up. That was a. That was, I think, another worlds in China. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. That was that was when Royal Never Give Up yes. was playing with Uzi. Yep, and so. Yep. Fucking insane. Staying up till three in the morning to watch games in China. Um and just like binging League of Legends till like seven in the morning. Fucking hell, man. Those were the days. 
It was, that was the days. Fuck, um, so many classes I never went to. <laughs> Absolutely. So bad, so bad. Kids, don't don't do what I did. Yeah. Or do what I did because I'm in my own business now. Whatever you want to do. True. Um, <laughs> follow your heart. <laughs> follow, follow your heart. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> that, that, that's unfair to Sarah. We own our own business. I couldn't have done it without her. Hey, credit where credit is due. There you go. Shout out, uh, Sarah. Yeah, and so I guess um, talking about competitive things again, and and since I don't want to just be a League of Legends podcast, yeah, I was gonna say, I, don't fool the people. You know, we're we're going into F one. I, I do want to be. I do want to be an F one podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. so Sochi was extremely, extremely exciting. It was, I thought it was a pretty good race. It was a good race. I was pretty um I was pretty happy with it overall just watching the competitiveness and I saw a, a video about um, about the way that Max Verstappen has been performing and so it's um it's like a quote from Alan Prost uh where he basically says that if you have a car that is successful enough to finish second, then you need to finish second. Um, and so I think. What does he mean? What does he mean with the need part though? Explain so, that a little bit. So Alan Prost was a, a F1 driver. Um, one of uh, really the best F1 drivers um, over the years. And so he basically was saying like, if you if your car is capable of finishing in this position then you better put it in that position like if you're if your car's able to finish in second place um but it's not good enough for first you better finish second place if your car's only good enough to finish fourth then you better make it finish fourth and that's kind of how i see verstappen with his performance he doesn't have a car that he can necessarily always come in first place um but he does have a car that he can consistently be in that top three and he's making it happen um every single time he can um where he's not having issues so um i guess going into the results we we did actually have a little bit of a shake-up so valtteri botas finished in first um which I know I've I've said some things about. I didn't think he was performing super well. So uh, the fact that he was able to pull out that first place finish um, is definitely um, definitely good for him. And even though it doesn't really, I mean, it helps him in the driver's standings, but he's still uh, a bit out of reach of Lewis. Um, he's still tw- uh, forty four points back. Um, which is basically two wins with Lewis not finishing to surpass him. Um, but also, uh, it was interesting because Lewis had a couple of penalties during this uh, this race. He had um, team penalties where he was told by his team he could pull these uh, practice starts, and he ended up... Uh, he ended up getting penalized based on where his practice starts were. So, dude, um, and, and that and that wasn't the first time. Like, 
his team miscommunicated with him during the race. Yeah, I'm really kind of like between that, between the penalty where he entered entered the pit lane when he wasn't. Um, yeah, it was. A, yes, yes. Like, there you go. Thank you. When he wasn't, or when the pit lane was closed, and like he has had multiple times during this season where his team has miscommunicated things to him and he's been penalized for it. And that I think even though Valtteri won the race, um, I don't know how it would have shaken out if Lewis hadn't gotten that 10 second penalty. Um, I think it's hard to say because Lewis ended up coming out of his uh, pit stop with the 10 second stop and go penalty he came out of that and was in 10th place after being up in second. So right. the rest but then of the race, on top of that, he crawled up again. Yeah. He made it all the way up to third, but you gotta, you have to think about it. Like he was fighting through traffic the entire way up the field, passing seven different people. To right. Where he finished. Like if he had free air and could have been just like, chasing after Valtteri and Max, like it would have been, I I don't know what would have happened, but it, well, it, been it would have been an actual race. battle for first. I, I imagine. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it would have, um, without the penalties, I wouldn't have been shocked at a Mercedes one, two finish again with Max third. Um, and this is now, that was the sixth race this year. I believe they said that, uh, the three of them have shared the podium. Um, whether different levels of it, first, second, third, but that's kind of brutal for the rest of the field. Um, now, do you think, do you think that has more to do with driver skill disparity? Do you think there's that much different in the vehicles? What do you think might be contributing to that? I think it's the cars. Interesting. Okay. I, and, and no knock to the guys who are on top. Like I was saying with Verstappen and how he's finished, like he is, he has been getting the most out of his car. Um, as you can see, especially in this race, Alex Albon finished 10th and Max finished second that with a 92nd gap between them, which is easily close to a lap. Um, yeah, he was almost an entire lap behind his teammate. Um, and you see Max, like he's getting the most out of his car. Um, but at the same time, like, I do think that Mercedes and Red Bull have cars that are just a step above the rest of the, the field of it. Like you've, we've seen earlier in the season, primarily you saw some different, um, teams you saw the racing points up there um you saw we saw uh pierre gasly and the alpha Ta- uh alpha towery uh finish pretty high we've seen mclaren's consistently getting some good high finishes um but yeah it seems as they're getting their upgrades and things in throughout the season red bull at least max is red bull um and the mercedes just haven't really lost an inch or uh, of uh their lead on everyone else so it is yeah it's interesting to see like look just looking at the standings for the driver championship currently Mm -hmm. like verstappen seems a like 
the the numbers and and this is from like rather green eyes of it but the numbers appear to be close for verstappen to break past past valtteri for second place so valtteri has 161 points verstappen has 128 like two two to three good finishes will where valtteri doesn't do that well and and again you know that's that may be a big if in this field currently i'm not sure but like it it just appears from a like spectator point of view uh verstappen has a shot to break into the top two and that's like from a casual like from a yeah that's just really exciting well yeah and i mean even as and that's with max having a couple of dnfs and he's still that right right that's what i'm saying he hasn't had an easy season i mean like the the difference in points between first and third in a race with not including any fastest lap point is 10 yeah 25 points for first 18 for second 15 for third I mean, he's, you said what, 31 points behind? How much are we? 30, 33 points behind Valtteri yeah. Championship? Yeah. Good math. That's three, that's three times that uh, Max finishes first and Valtteri gets beat by Lewis, which is not unreasonable at all. Um, right. And I mean, looking at how many races we've got left four, five, six. There's seven still uh, on the table, seven races left. So, dude, and it's not like Max is starting at the back of the grid. Like, he's he's really up there in the rows. So, it's, yeah. It, yeah, like you're saying, it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to get a couple of firsts. Not at all. Um, and, like, Albon, like you said, he's in this, he's in the same car. I can, I could easily see him being up in. And driving in a pack of like Ricardo, Albon, Verstappen, Valtteri, and Lewis at like the forefront of a race after like solid qualifiers, and that being like a real battle. And I, I really hope he he does because I think he has a lot of talent as a driver too. Well, he's got the I I think he's got the mindset from what I've seen in the in that Drive to Survive series where they've like focused on Albon a little bit. Dude, he seems like. He's just got he's locked in. That yes, locked in is a perfect word for it. Just there's nothing else in the world. Yeah. Which um, is pretty cool. And I I did there that was another thing that I kind of enjoyed about this week's race, even though it wasn't um super competitive in terms of where they finished. There was a long stretch where Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, and Lando Norris were racing with each other and just like pushing each other back and forth, passing. Like Albon was trying to make passes on Lando for a while. And then, yeah, and that was at the Gasly, back of the grid, right? Yeah, that was yeah. in like 10th, 11th, 12th place at the time. And so they were further down the grid, but. Like, man, that was some fun racing to watch. Yeah, man. Oh, I definitely agree. Um, So that was, that was a lot of fun, especially they're all three really young, like talented drivers. So I enjoyed watching them kind of get after it um, with each other a bit. So that was, that was one of my bright spots for the race. But it was a shame to see, I mean, and this goes to, this was, we didn't really, we didn't really like 
talk about this, but this is kind of of an element that I wanted to hit. So like the first turn and then what was it? And then turn two, turn two sucks, man. It's, (laughs) it's so brutal in the sense that like people's races just end right there. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you had, you had Carlos signs go out on the first lap because I mean, and so for people who didn't watch uh, the second turn on this racetrack, um, if you go outside of the normal track boundaries, they made you go through this little like maze to get back on the track. So it's like, oh, you cut a corner. You have to slow down and go through this stuff. And signs just bend it off the wall with this front left tire. He just he just cut it too close to the wall trying to go through this little maze of pylons and nailed his uh his car there and i just when there's that many people to get bunched together at the starting line and it's so easy for that to happen like that's not a good design for their yeah well dude you look at the track layout man it's pretty brutal and like the corners are like they're tight they're 90 degrees like that's tough to squeeze 16 cars yeah right they talk about like oh they're going three wide it's like uh well there's yeah there's also 14 other cars yeah uh it's crazy man 19 other there's 20 20 total on the grid yeah that's true so (laughs) that's why i said good math dude i oh man but no, I mean, that was, it's just such a dumb little section. And I, you even saw it. I mean, and this is also another reason why. Uh, so, anyone who's watched the Drive to Survive series, you probably like Daniel Ricardo a decent bit. He was kind of the protagonist of the first season. Um, but man, seeing him, like, he went off the track, got a penalty for for a five second penalty for not going through the little maze at turn two. And they're like, oh, so uh, Daniel, you've got a five-second penalty. It'll be added on to the end. And he's like, well, I'll just drive faster then. Like, <laughs> that's such a great attitude about it. He's not complaining about the penalty. He's just like, well, I better get going to make up for that five seconds. Like, <laughs> uh, I I enjoy watching uh, Ricardo. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a great uh, personality. I would say he's he's very enjoyable. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Um, but I, I guess like talking about hitting another thing from Soshi that was interesting. So <laughs> with like talking about Lewis's penalties and everything, and how that ended up kind of making it less competitive at the top. That actually, until they reverted the points. Um, Put, I know we had talked about uh, F1 drivers having to have their super license, which is yeah. their F1 driver's license. And this is super sick, by the way. If you get uh, if you get twelve points on your license, uh, then you have to uh, forfeit your next race, or you cannot compete in the next race. I for, I don't recall if it is a situation where the team can substitute their like reserve driver to like drive instead and that just that driver is penalized or if it's uh like the team only has one driver instead of two um 
But well, that would be penalizing the team for the acts of the driver. How I'm, I'm is, curious how many I of the think, rules are written in that way. I think it would be the reserve driver comes in and drives. Because I mean, like we saw uh, in this reversal of these two points being added onto Lewis's super license, they they pulled it back um, because the team had told him to that he could do these practice start situations where he did. So he was, um, he was misinformed by his team. Uh, so the FIA governing body decided not to, to penalize him and to penalize Mercedes itself instead. So. Hmm. Um, so Interesting. Yeah, I feel like most of the, the rules are kind of, um, like you have to punish the driver for the driver's penalties and the team for the team's penalties kind of thing. Right. So. Huh. Was, okay. Yeah. But before they had uh, taken those points off of Lewis's um, super license, he was up to 10 of 12 over the past year. And, uh, I mean, he was very—he was getting very close. He was one incident away, basically, from potentially like having to not race. Well, according to according to him and Verstappen, it's because they're out to get him. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent disagreeing, but because uh, I th- I do think the F the FIA puts in regulations that are kind of supposed to try and keep it competitive, um, keep some fairness amongst the teams, even though there is a gap in terms of their quality of vehicle and whatnot. Um, I think they are kind of trying to, to affect Mercedes and, and Hamilton a little bit there, which is like that, what and I don't know the answer. Is that what the governing body should be there for? Should they be there to make sure that they're maintaining a good competitive atmosphere, or should they be there to just ensure that everyone's following the rules and let the best team win? I personally Whoa. think that you should just be there to make sure everyone's following the rules you set forth and let the best team win. Um, but it doesn't always seem like the FIA is following that. Right. I that mean, doesn't seem good that they're in the business of slicing ankles then. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like we've seen it already earlier this season. You saw, um, so uh, they took away the the party modes for the different teams. And so for like what that means is basically like, Teams could change how their engine was working using the computers in the system so that if your um, your engine can kind of overwork itself to um, help your driver stay ahead if he's getting like someone's trying to pass him. But by doing that, it does more damage overall to the life of your engine. Um, and so... In Formula One, each team is only allowed to have a certain number of engines and gearboxes and things like that for the entire season for their drivers. So if you're like, if you're using these modes to like protect yourself in one race, 
it may mean down the line that you're not going to have like your full engine power because you've like sucked some life out of the, the engine of your car. Whoa, um, that's intense. And so with that, they took out the ability to do that because I think they thought that Mercedes was had some engine modes that were a little too good uh, for other teams to compete. So they were like, no changing your engine mode during the race. You're stuck. What? And they did that mid-season this year. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, and so that was... That you couldn't happened. swap your loadout. Nope. holy shit i'm not a fan of that yeah and they did that this season Uh, and so i mean mercedes even then was like oh yeah they're trying to they're trying to tie our hands behind our back and make okay gotcha so those aren't just like out of the blue comments those are like okay it's kind of like this is like and and I mean there are regulations Yo. that are changing in the upcoming years that are supposed to shake things right. up and right. like make people. Yeah, I was taking a look at some of the rule changes and like uh, like uh, car changes and stuff like that, trying to you know trying to get an idea of what's to come. But shit, I didn't know all that, dude. Oh yeah, man, they like fully just tried to like handicap and and they they the reason that they said they did it, which is like they're they're they always have a reason that like is so kind of nonsensical. So last 29 Ferrari, who we've talked about how Ferrari is not, um, and you're breaking up been as successful this year as they were in previous years. And so there was actually a, um, uh, what did they call it? Not an inquiry, but they were, they were looking in to see if Ferrari was doing something shady with their engine last year, basically. Oh, wow. Um, and so there was some sort of ruling that was made on Ferrari last year that was not announced publicly um, that a lot of people, especially early on in the season, were like, oh, the reason Ferrari's doing much worse is because... Uh, is because they like had to make changes because they got so um, yeah so like I can't pretend like that didn't just sound like a hurricane coming through your microphone. Oh man, I'm trying to. Is it any better? It's, yeah, it's 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 better now. That got okay. real rough, real. I, I think I had a, a slight connect with one of my my cords there Um, gotcha but yeah so uh, the fia had a ruling against ferrari that was not publicized that a lot of people think uh kind of affected their engines and their quality which is why they're doing worse this year gotcha i i don't know it seems like they're kind of they are trying to like handicap some of the top teams to pull them back in it's questionable i mean it's kind of like um it's kind of like changing the patch you know make it and make it a lane swap meta or not you know I, it's, I guess. it's the governing body shifting the way they want the game to be played i guess that's the i guess that's the liberty they have when they're the the organizers of the events as much as we don't like it i mean uh, i i don't know who's to say they're wrong i don't know 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the tough part is just like my competitive nature. Like, I want I want to see the best teams and drivers competing. Like, a lot of people I know uh, and I've talked to are not super into Formula One because it like right off the bat people are each team is starting off on a different footing like if you're mercedes you're you've got the best car out there right now so even if you didn't have the best driver in the world just by having the best car you're already a leg up and can still potentially compete for the top okay um, and so i know a lot of people like things being on even standings with that See. but the way i look at it is you it's not just the driver it's not right the race like right. the team is making like trying to make as many technological improvements as quickly as possible on their car throughout the season to make it better faster more durable things like that and so it's not just about each individual race in formula one that's why they have a constructor's championship and a driver's championship. Right. Also looking at which team is able to make the best car alongside who is performing the best as a Right. Driver. Right. And and I think that's what's so cool when the drivers talk about like, oh, I'm just the driver, like it's not about me. It's like, oh, all the engineers and everybody back at base and da 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 da. And like they really do make you aware of like, fuck, it really isn't just them, man. Like there's there's so many factors involved in making that cargo vroom that, you know, just talking about the drivers, I feel like is uh Yeah, yeah, man, that's super reductive, I would say. Yeah, it takes away from a lot of it, which I think or is a really cool like aspect of formula one compared to like any other sport and um i i'm actually have misspoke there. I, I should have said the to just say it's like oh it's just like their car is better and you know their driver's better and this and that like well you know if maybe if ferrari and and red bull maybe if they hey you know man if they like if their people figured out some of this stuff as quickly as mercedes they right. could be competing because right say like they like they have just as much the opportunity to make the breakthroughs that mercedes are exactly. that right 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 i i'm not sure i'm not sure in a world where i'm not sure in a world where the drivers after retiring from monaco can just go hop on their yacht i'm not sure in that world you really want to talk about limitations it's it's probably not talk about limitations of money you may want to talk about limitations of minds right like yeah. how how well, how focused are the scientists how focused are the engineers it could be it could be a top down leadership thing like man in with something at, that has as many moving parts as what seems like f1 orgs are which is why they're kind of fascinating to me is that you can't you can't put it on one factor ever no definitely and i think uh it even falls more on um ferrari in terms of that because ferrari is manufacturing their own engines along with their cars like they're an engine supplier for other right um, for other cars they're the alfa romeo like uh engine provider like red bull is using honda like right. Honda engines are not, there's no Red Bull engine. There's no like, yeah, they make the car and the parts, but they buy their engine from Honda. 
and so that's just like you have some limitations because you're not manufacturing everything in-house um, to make it work perfectly all together. You're kind of like manufacturing your car to work right with that specific engine you're getting. Um, and of course, there's collaboration and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like teams like Mercedes, uh, like Ferrari, like Renault, who are producing their own engines along with their cars and tailoring them to each other, I think should have the upper hand on uh, the other teams. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So that seems to that seems to make some good sense to me. Yeah. So Ferrari's uh, Ferrari's team just doesn't uh, seem to have the uh, quite as much going as as Mercedes does. In well, and they also have what's his name. Is it Hulkenberg? No, Sebastian Vettel. Ah, well, yeah, he's an old guy. No wonder. Yeah, a former world champion. Ah. Don't knock Seb that much. He's not know, looking dude. good this year, but I don't know, dude. His uh, reaction time is getting a bit slower. <laughs> but no, Hulkenberg's the man. Actually, Hulkenberg. I would love. I hope he's in F one next year. He's fun to watch. Hulkenberg's got some great hair. Dude, he's a he's a handsome man. He's got the hair. He's got that Swedish, like Norwegian kind of look. Not right. sure what his uh his nationality is, but he's a German professional racing driver. Yeah, but he was born in Emmerich, Germany. He's 33 years old. There you go. But yeah, like the uh if you Google Nico Hulkenberg, uh, there's a picture of him with some some shades on and his hair is just like all done up. I mean, he's got the look of a of a fast driver for in my opinion. Yo, that's so funny. You're yeah. actually just as fast as your haircut. You're only as Holy fast. Holy shit. Yo, that's, that's why that's why Lewis ties it up in a in a thing. Yep. It's so fast. Yo, Lewis Hamilton, fastest. Fucking fastest haircut out. That's so funny. Yep. Fastest. He's Holy got, shit. He's got the uh the cornrows in and everything. Like just aerodynamic, man. <laughs> oh my god. Holy shit. That yo, that's what's crazy about all these F1 drivers. Like they're they're handsome as all hell. Yeah. They like, oh man. But they I think just have everything going for them. Money, I, the look, the fast cars, the hair. It, fast it definitely, hair. for a lot of them, though, it definitely isn't uh, necessarily shocking because a lot of things about getting into these F1 seats and like are, are making connections throughout your years when you're younger. And honestly, right. you got to be pretty good looking people do a little bit better out there making Fuck, connections. Man. It's it's a sad uh, a sad thing of life, but some people just got a leg up. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I like not having video to our podcast. People don't people can't know how handsome we are. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. So, <laughs> so beautiful, <laughs> the prettiest podcast out. We are the prettiest podcast on Spotify. Holy shit. <laughs> hey, I mean, 
just saying, Joe Rogan's got nothing on us. <laughs> I, I, I would agree. I would agree. I have way more hair than Joe Rogan. I have a little bit more hair than Joe Rogan. A little bit more. Little well, bit you were doing the you're you're doing the comb over thing. You're getting yeah, there. Man. I'm you're a, getting to. Hey, my hairline. Uh, it it's it's just not there that much anymore. <laughs> it fell off on me. I had the flow, and then I cut it off, and it was all downhill. It never came back. Never came back. <laughs> Has your has your hair been um, shopping around for gravestones? My oh, absolutely. Nice, nice. It's on its, its way out. It's planning for the future. Over I, the hill. I'm pretty sure it's terminal. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I'm a. Uh, it's oh, and I meant to tell you back to F1 a little bit. I um since we're not just talking about hair anymore and being the prettiest podcast on Spotify. Wait, um, it's all F1. It's always F1. has been. But uh, can you, do you want to guess how many, and this is from an article. I don't remember exactly if how recent this was, but do you want to guess how many lifetime uh, penalty points Grosjean has? Lifetime penalty points for that man. I'm going to guess that he has... I'm going to guess that he has 33 lifetime penalty points. Okay, so a little lower. He has 20, but that still seems like a lot. That still seems like a lot. So he would have lost it and a half. Yep. Yep, almost, yeah. Exactly. Damn, dude, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm looking, and I think it's the closest person to Lewis in current penalty points is Alex Albon with five. So nice. Okay. He's, uh, he's banged some cars around as well, but well, him and, uh, the other, the other person that fucking binned it into the wall might was, uh, stroll, whatever his name is. Daddy's little, daddy's little driver. (laughs) Sir Lancelot. Sir Lancelot. Um, Holy. But yeah, so most most drivers, uh I it I think from my count there are fifteen drivers currently with at least one penalty point. Gotcha. Um, I thought you were gonna say with at least fast hair. Oh no, no. Not all of them have fast hair. That's Dude. why some of them are down down in the back of the pack. Well what's so crazy is Valtteri barely has any hair and he's oh, yeah. up there. I attribute that to the car, man. No, there you go. I mean, he's in a Mercedes. It doesn't matter what kind of hair he has. That was the one that kind of screwed up my, uh, <laughs> screwed up my, um, hypothet or my theory on fast, fast cars, fast hair, fast, fast cars ride. and fast hair. Yeah. He's the one that threw it off. I mean, Charles Leclerc, uh, Max Verstappen's got some good hair on him. Magnuson, fucking well combed Ricardo. He's got the little fro going. Gro- little. Even Grosjean, he's yep. got he, he's got the the most crashed hair. Yeah, the definitely the most crashed hair. Holy shit, Lando he has, Norris. He has crashed that hair all over the place in innumerable races. My God, are so, we talking about a driver or a or a or a a, a lady of the night, Jesus. 
crashed all over the place. Just crashing everywhere. All right. But, uh, all right, this, this podcast is derailing fast, Aaron. What do you want to do? Uh, well, so you wanted, I know you were saying you wanted, you had an epiphany, uh, in the shower. I wanted to hear a little more about, about what your, uh, I guess life, not, well, not necessarily life changing, but your epiphany about how your life has changed. uh, So, okay. All right. We, all right. We can talk about it. So currently I'm reading a book. Well, I, I, I started it a while ago, but it, 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 it's, 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 it's a lot. So it's called The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Okay. And I had gotten to a point in the book where he talks about another researcher's like paradigm, another researcher's framework of thinking for how to think about trauma and trauma relief. And this researcher came up with this idea called the integrated family system. And all right, so put a pin in that. Now, me personally, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's ever really come up in your and my relationship, but the people who are I, I i don't even want to use the term like closest that's that's a bit maybe disingenuous so sarah specifically my mother specifically and like my dad and maybe some select friends i have struggled with anger issues over the years like sudden outbursts of uncontrollable rage where I feel like the only real dis- like the only real good descriptor I had for it was like, I I feel like I would just like hulk out, right? Okay. A gotcha. part of me would kind of go berserk. Yeah. And connect from your your usual like Right. Right. Yeah. And I was never really sure where it stemmed from. Now I had seen I had I have talked to shrinks over the years when I was, when I was a young kid, I went to psychologists. Um, there was a time in college when I went to go see a shrink. So it's been like a a constant thing in my life where I've had just like issues, right? Just like issues with this rage that I didn't understand, but I, it was made or I was made to just, assume it was part of me right gotcha now and dad i'm not sure if you're ever gonna listen to this but hello um i attributed it a good amount to the relationship that i had with my father and we don't really have to go into that much because the uh, i i called it a breakthrough when i when i said it to sarah was uh I realized I'm not sure it had much to do with my dad as much as I thought it did. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, all right. So put a pin in that back to the book. Now the integrated family system is a paradigm of looking at trauma. Now, side note, I don't believe I'm a traumatized individual, but I do believe there has to be something in my life that contributed to this, this rage. Right. It's not it, it, it's not like a normal emotion. 
and especially for somebody who I like to believe I'm quite analytical, rage and the anger of emotion actually diminishes your ability to think you, you tunnel vision and tunnel vision is not conducive to exploring all of the possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's not something that, and I'm going to use the terminology here. It's not something that most parts of me want to engage with where after, after the freak out, there are significant, significant feelings of shame afterwards because a part of me just lost control. Right. All right. So that's, Okay, so that's very intentional wording there. You'll see why. Back to the book. Now, the integrated family system, uh, Dr. Vanderkolk, and I, I, I really wish I could remember the guy's name right now. The, the guy who came up with this paradigm believed, and this is kind of like a well-held truth in psychology, is that ourselves are made up of different personalities. Okay. And some of those personalities grow up at different rates than others, especially in individuals who have experienced some kind of trauma, whether it be war, family member dying, some type of sexual abuse, some type of physical abuse, emotional abuse, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Or like, even in terms of like people learning to like talk and like walk and things like that at different times, it's like that same growth but with internal like emotions and and like managing of that exactly so now this strategy of psychotherapy is made to integrate all of the parts of the self so they ask the question what happens in an individual who is abused who is traumatized a part of themselves gets left behind and the other parts of themselves have to learn to adapt and those are the other personalities that even in even in somebody who would identify as a female they may have a strong part of their self that they feel is the embodiment of a of a large strong male who can step in and he can be the person who can confront danger but that individual's name is like Susie, right? But she feels she has this other individual who has to step in and she in, she personifies that part of herself as a large big man, right? Yeah. So we can yeah. we can identify and name them differently. Gotcha. So there is in that a way to break and separate the different types of parts that you'll see so there are your managers now i'm gonna put a pin in that and and just to say i feel like this podcast is about to get a whole lot longer now aaron if you would like to step away go get a drink go use the bathroom if you have to do anything like that go for it cool i will go and hit it real quick perfect so now as i'm talking to the people i would just like to say that this has come from a this has come from a position of kind of strife in the relationship that i have with the person that's closest to me her name's sarah where these confusing bouts of rage where 
most parts of me don't identify with it. Most parts of me don't identify with it, which made the reading of this book so impactful, so resonating, because it, it really felt like I was reading about myself in a way that it seemed like a useful strategy. It seemed like a useful strategy to use for like self-healing. But it was from the perspective of psychotherapy and having somebody take you through um, these exercises. Now, in a long journey of self-actualization and self-help and self-learning, self-leadership, some of these things become easier than others in the sense that to anybody listening, I don't know what state of wellness you are in, but understand that if you're hurting, there's a way to there's a way to begin to heal from the inside. So with that in mind, we can explore kind of the other avenues and what these mean for me personally, um, because when Aaron, we were talking about this before the podcast, like it, 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 it's really dominated my day. And in a sense of like, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm very happy to explore it with you. Um, here on the podcast because it it really was like you like you said I, I I'm not gonna say it was like life changing yet but I have a feeling that if I can notice the triggers that I I feel like I was able to put my finger on I feel like my quality of life is about to get a whole lot a whole lot better so with that in mind if you'll allow me to kind of explain some of the different elements and then I'll 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 make it specific here okay. um. Yeah, so you have the managers and the managers are the individuals that the individual parts of you that have adapted and learned and had gotten the other parts of you out of that abuse and onto the world. Um, so what you'll end up finding is people who had rough upbringings. They're usually able to lead like pretty successful lives. You'll see them, you know, head of companies or at least doing well in their careers or anything. And that is due to the managers. The managers are the parts of you that you develop to help bring along, help bring along the things that were damaged in a way that is proper for the outside world to see. Gotcha. They're they're never going to let you see. The, the the little kid that is broken inside of them because look at all this money, look at my status, look at this. So a lot of times it can actually manifest as like perfectionism, right? It's like a facade. Gotcha. Okay. Those are the managers. Now you also have your firefighters. The firefighters are defined as the parts of yourself that look to put out the alarm system. The alarm systems that you'll put out with and um, I'll use this example first is like video game addiction, where you go for like escapism, where um, it'll lead to substance abuse, it'll lead to promiscuity, you're trying to numb those sensations of alarm with other chemicals that you can get from like risky behavior or dopaminergic reactions in the brain. Okay, gotcha. 
So those are the firefighters. Those are the ones that in tandem with the managers try and regulate the the third element, which are the exiles. These are these are the things that these are the entities within you that the trauma happened to. And unfortunately, these tend to be often depicted by um, often depicted by patients as like a little kid. They were the ones and unfortunately it's the it's the innocence it's the joyfulness it's the parts of you that are able to be free it's the parts of you that are able to you know engage with a silly idea or uh, feel just comfortable in the embrace of somebody else like those those things just don't exist when parts of your personality are made up by exiles because those are the things that get left behind. Those are the things that get tainted, right? Gotcha. Is like so your innocence. Just out of curiosity, do they Go ahead. discuss this in terms of like repressed memories and things like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, and that's, yeah, and that's why they, like, they name it the exiles. They're the, they're the thing that you don't these. think about. Right. Yeah. You're repressing these feeling or your, your managers and firefighters are trying to stop these these feelings from blowing up and everything so tied to that are some of those uh that like memories and things that cause those feelings i guess right so with with those with those three we'll call them characters in mind let me let me break down how i saw it for me and this was this was reading this was after reading this chapter in the book where he talks about the integrated family system that exists within the self that all other psychotherapists have hinted at. We we all we all pretty much accept that there are we we are comprised of multiple drives and goals. That's the id, the superego, and the ego. It's the checks and balance system of our of our of ourselves. Gotcha. So now I don't I don't believe that I I was an abused child, but what I do think happened were there was a particular set of circumstances that I was in that led to that led to me developing to who I am today. Gotcha. So I grew up with an older sister and for most of my life, there was two, uh, two brothers who lived down the street who comprised pretty much the entirety of my social life up until like, like middle school, it, it 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 was even very representative of like my high school years, even as well. Um, and it was characterized by a a a putting them on a pedestal. Like I really looked up to these three individuals. One of them was my sister, and this is why I say, you know. It, it it wasn't necessarily as much about my dad as I may have originally thought. I, I do believe it was more about my sister and the friend group that I existed in, which was her, myself, and these two brothers. One of the brothers was my age. The older brother was, you know, my sister's age. Mm. And I was you, you easily just the run of the litter, right? Like, I, I was easily to be picked on. I was gullible. They could make me, you know, do things that they wanted that weren't in my best interest. And so it was just characterized by somebody wanting to appease the one that I looked up to. Right. 
Gotcha. And somebody and individuals who like I thought they were really fucking cool too. Like it wasn't just that they were the ones that I was around. Like I so wanted to be around them. Yeah. And I think that's where the disparity started. So I wanted so much to be around them, but the more I wanted to be around them, I feel like they pushed back and that was the, you know, making fun of and being picked last for playing basketball and similar things like this, that it informed, it informed how I was going to be received by others. And I believe that's where the exile started. It was, it was a feeling of fear of being constantly inadequate to what I could, I can confidently say were my governing bodies at the time. Gotcha. What they said to me, honestly, I, it, it, it was pretty much Bible. I was like, okay, I believe that. Okay. That's hilarious. Oh, that sounds so cool. The way you say it. Right. I was, you know, that, that was it. Yeah. So now to the that's where we get to the rage. And I think that's the root of the anger is it was the young kid in me not having the tools necessary to deal with the ridicule slash elements of not being good enough. I wanted so much to be a part of that group that I actually ostracized myself. I would I would lie to try and like be cool, like that I knew something. And it was it was just an outright lie. It was it was just not true. And then so there was then it was an association with this pit in my stomach of like, oh, well now I'm going to get caught in this lie and now now there's a shame cycle, right? Gotcha. Okay. So I think the real root of it, and this is what this is this is where the the psychotherapy kind of kind of the the traditional psychotherapy sessions begin to be the proper place for this because you have to ask the other parts of yourself to step back and not be judgmental. When I was there in the shower and the warm water was beating on me and I was really trying to work through this, like, where does it come from? What happens when you really ask yourself a question, when you really ask, like you, like you want to know the answer. The crazy thing is from somewhere within you, often you get an answer. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's it's almost as if it's almost as if you didn't have the answer before, but the answer came from nowhere but inside yourself. Yeah. So that's where you have to start. You have to you have to ask with the intention of really knowing the answer, no matter how, you know, it it made me cry. It's kind of making me well up right now. Yeah. So So I really had to ask when I was thinking about these things is what was at the core of it that made me so angry. And it was the element of like not having the tools necessary or not knowing the thing necessary. And once I kind of made that connection, I began having visions of all these other times where the, the route that I've now found has 
it 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 almost illuminated itself in all of these other memories that have just been like fragments over time where they, they're just like these moments that I can't get out of my head, right? And I think the core of the rage that was expressed in those moments, and I would even describe it as like feeling like I'm just a little kid again, right? So it's even acknowledging the type of verbiage that these psychotherapists are using, right? I'm even referring to this individual as a as a child. I even understand in the words that I'm using that he's not full grown, yeah. right? So in in the imagery of my brain, I went back and I said and I said, "What is it that's making you so angry?" And I saw standing around this little kid this little representation of me i saw those three other individuals just kind of like pointing and laughing and like not not allowing me to just like be the little kid that i was yeah. and 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 bootstrapping on top of that 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 made me feel not good enough right Gotcha. And so the real healing comes when you can have the non, you can be non judgmental about a moment like that, not see a weak little kid, just see a little kid who wasn't prepared. Yeah. So, and, and this is what Vanderkolk describes as you is he takes these people through the exercise. So I did what he did with his, his patients and I, I envision myself walking up to that little kid, putting my hand on his shoulder and saying, it's okay that you don't know the answers that they're requiring of you. And I told them to step back. I said, done, right? Yeah. And in that vision, it like... It and this is where the the I in the integrated family system comes from is you make it part of you now. You've you've reunited the rest of yourself with that little kid that got left behind. The part of me that grew up and like I'm I'm able to stand up for myself and I and we talk about it like in competitive scenarios and this and that. Like I I've I've self-actualized in so many other ways, right? Except in that one little way. And you realize, and it's even in the language you say, it was just one little part of me. So with Bessel Vander, Dr. Vanderkalk's help, and I didn't even know that he was going to give me this help. I didn't even think I was a quote unquote traumatized individual. And I think that's, that's at the root of it is there is, there is healing that we all can do, right? And that was just like, that was crazy, man. And I, and like I said, I feel, I feel lighter. I feel like the next time a situation where I'm not, I don't have all the answers, I feel like it's going to be okay. And that part of me, that young kid, I don't think he's going to get upset that he doesn't know the answers anymore because it feels like he's with us, right? He's not. He's going to start growing more again. Like very quickly. Yeah being kind of held back where he was at yeah yeah so that was like that was that was my morning shower dude and i was like crying and i was like fuck bro like deep breaths and man it was intense man it was that's sounds really intense yeah dude like i'm even crying over here now dude it's crazy like that's a that's awesome that you kind of like 
we're able to go through that and make realizations about kind of where you're at in life and different things about you, man, my morning showers, uh, on a lighter note are really just to try and get me to wake up because <laughs> that's about Dude, all I can think about. Maybe that is time. waking up though, man. Like I, like, hey, I feel woken up. That's a good point. You know, uh, Mine is more of a, a, a groggy kind of no, I, waking up. <laughs> fucking don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. I, I will never say that to anyone except potentially jokingly. But, man, I, I need some caffeine in the morning. To Dude, really so do I. So do I, man. It's bad. Get going. But, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, like, I really think that's one awesome that you're like take going out of your way and reading like these different books that are like um thought provoking and and really kind of getting um getting you outside your comfort zone thinking because i think that does cause a lot of growth um but also just in general like i think like therapy and going to see like like you were saying, go see a shrink or a therapist or a counselor or whatever. I think a lot more people could use that because. Oh, I agree, man. There's so many people out there that don't have the answers and are not willing to like admit that to themselves. And like, sometimes you just need someone to put something in a different perspective or look at thing, something a different way, or, or I mean, help you look at something a different way. And that can make a huge difference in terms of that. So, I mean, I've been to therapy a number of times, like through different things. And it's been, it's always been um, like useful, especially for me. I like to talk a lot. So like talking things out is one of my ways of like working through uh, different things. And whether it's like, uh, I don't know, like, puzzles or like just talking things out in general like helps my brain um based on the way it just works so um i think that's yeah and then getting the like like, yeah yeah like the disinterested third party viewpoint especially someone with some education that can well and i think what's also interesting about psychotherapy is they often aren't and it's kind of like within their credo like they're often not trying to give you like what they think to be their answers they're really just trying to help facilitate growth from the things that you bring to the table yourself they just try and help you organize them and honestly i feel like that's so useful like like it's no wonder why successful people use like assistance to help organize their day I, it uh, honestly, it, 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 to me sounds like the same thing where you have an assistant that helps you organize your cal- calendar and your events and things you got to do. You have somebody who's trained in psychotherapy to help you organize your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings. And like the, the, the older I get, the more I realize like, it's just, man, fuck dude. The human psyche is so, it, uh, man, you really, you got to pay attention to it. You got to nurture it. Yeah, no, it's definitely a really interesting, like, thing to dive into and kind of, like, research more, learn more about. And I think you learn a lot more about yourself, like, through all that, which is, which yeah. is really cool. So, it's fun. But, uh, I mean, and that's definitely something I think, like, 
we've talked about last uh, the other week and uh, talking about like different artists and things with their mental health, talking about our own mental health a little bit and things that help us. I think, I feel like that's kind of a uh, going to be a pervasive thing throughout the pod uh, where things like this will come up. Cause I think um, I like having, well, personally, I like having these thought provoking conversations. So I enjoy kind of well, yeah, man. delving into this uh, a good bit. So you gotta, I, I feel like, and, and it's why I think it's why I'm so attracted to the podcast, like long form, which I think, you know, inclined me to, you know, ask you to start our own in the sense of, if you approach people, especially people you don't know, or especially people who are in fields that you don't totally understand, like go into those interactions and, you know, a podcast isn't necessarily an interaction, but it, it does feel like you're a part of the conversation in the sense that you can approach them and, and there's a, there's a world of knowledge that you can learn from people. And it's, it's really, I think the only thing there is to do in the world is just learn and improve and try and make sense of the, you know, the substrate that we've been handed. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I think it's, it's definitely a good thing to, to never stop learning and to like, you don't have to constantly go to school, but to keep learning about yourself, learning about people, learning about, um, life like that, that learn how to make a birdhouse. Fuck. That's fun Amen. too. Hey, it depends uh, if you've got any cool birds to watch. But well, I don't know. How much do you know about Purple Martins? Zero. Uh, that sounds right, like I'm... it sounds like a car or uh, a uh, like the a line of like Nike sneakers. Yo, dude, it's I got, yeah. I got the Purple Martins. The Purple Martins. Holy shit! No, it's it's like the Mercedes of fucking birdhouses, dude. It's pretty sweet. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Is that one of the ones that you can see the inside of it? It's like up against your window or something. So no, no, they're like they're. It's it's for like a whole. It's it's like a speed. Yeah, it's like a whole thing. Google it. I don't. I don't have the. <laughs> I don't have all the knowledge to talk about the Purple Martins, but it is. It is pretty sweet. So next week will be a bird watching. Next week will be a bird watching podcast. Yes. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think we we kind of really were all over the the board today but i had a lot of fun kind of diving into the different topics do you have uh anything else you wanted to go through before we wrap things up not really man i just cried on episode six of our podcast i'm gonna i'm gonna let you take us out of here go for it right. well uh thanks everyone again for listening to the tall and the short of it um i'm aaron got justin here with me and we just hope that you guys enjoy it and will listen with us next week See you guys next week. Peace out.